0: People tell me that I'm plugged in. They're like, "Dude, how do you have so much energy?" And I'm like, "I'm just passionate about life."
1: Awesome. That's the way to be. No other way to be. You know, I mean, what 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 other options? You're going to mope and grope, and what's that going to do, right?
0: Exactly. I mean, I tell people that you know, when you're in a down mood, you know, listen to some music and sing your brains out. Even if you suck, just sing your brains out, and it'll change your state like immediately. It's it's fun.
1: That's me. You don't want to hear me (laughs) sing except in the bathroom, and that's the best (laughs) time.
0: Doesn't everybody sound good in the shower? You're just like, uh, man, I, I have perfect pitch in the shower.
1: Amazing. Give me a record deal. I sound awesome in the
0: bath. <laughs> <laughs> yep. See Dave. me smell. All right. All right,
1: Dave.
0: Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed.
1: Well, hello, hello, hello. Like they said, I'm Lana Reed, and welcome back to another week's edition of Don't Box Me In. Now, my guest today is speaker, coach, and radio host Christopher Roche. Christopher is the creator of The Kick Ass Guide to Life, the complete guide to living your best personal and professional kick-ass life. Now, uh, he got this way after deciding he wasn't going to be a victim of his circumstances anymore, and Christopher changed the course of his life. He overhauled his belief system and seriously got down to business. As a result, he proudly earned a master's degree in organizational management, purchased two houses, and started his professional speaking and training career. And he says his favorite accomplishment is being married to the love of his life. Now, Christopher is here today to share the transition and his personal story, and encourage us all to live a kick-ass life as well. So I'm giving him a big welcome, and Christopher, welcome to Don't Box Me In.
0: Hey, Lana, it's great to be here. How are you doing?
1: I am wonderful, amazing, fantabulous. It doesn't get any better. I woke up this morning, and some people don't get that option, so uh, I'll take <laughs> I get. I'll take it, I'll take it, I'll take it.
0: <laughs> I love it, I love it, sweetie, I love it.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So um, let's get right into this because I I have found doing this thing for the last three years and my hour goes so fast and I got to get everything in here. So let's just start off here. Um, You are born and bred in Los Angeles. Did I read that correctly?
0: Yep. Yep. I was born in Inglewood.
1: Oh, Inglewood. So you were there back in the day when the Lakers were at the Forum and all of that good stuff then, right? Uh
0: Uh-huh. Yep. Born 1969.
1: Oh, my year. We're the same. Okay. Uh Cool stuff. Cool stuff. 1969 was a great year. I like to tell everybody that.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's so, my favorite so, number.
1: See, <laughs> okay. So um, back to Inglewood and then you, <laughs> where you I were Made born. you blush. I know, right? 46 going on 47 and some things still make you blush. Oh, my goodness.
0: <laughs> I love it. <laughs>
1: I'm going to be a big girl one day.
0: <laughs> me, no,
1: I'm not. No. Uh-huh. So Inglewood. So um, growing. So you uh, grew up in Inglewood, and let let me start off. Let me ask you, what was that like? Now I came to Los Angeles. I think uh, where I started UCLA 87. So I kind of got the the Los Angeles vibe starting 87. But I'm pretty sure it was different for you, uh, 69 on up. So what was Inglewood and growing up in, uh, in uh, Los Angeles like during that time as a child?
0: Um, you know, it was, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on your show. I really, really, really appreciate it. I, um, growing up in Inglewood is really interesting. Uh, at first, I mean, being a little kid, I didn't really notice anything different. Uh, my mom, uh, was, uh, suffering from various psychological disorders, so I was outside a lot and, and staying with babysitters a lot. But growing up in Inglewood, it really taught me an, an early lesson about life, and that was about discrimination. Because in most situations, um, you know, just being frank, you know, white people don't really get discriminated against, generally speaking. But me growing up in a black neighborhood. Um, I got picked on a lot, even from a very <laughs> early age, because I was the one kid, the one white kid in the in the street, and I had all my friends were black. But as I started getting older, people were singling me out, and I didn't understand why. Um, so at, at a point, it became violent. My mom actually moved us out of there, and we moved to Anaheim, here still in Southern California. But um, growing up in Inglewood is cool. I mean, I had my big wheel, I had my matchbox cars, and one of the uh, earliest memories I have is music. I remember. I remember the '70s music and and the and the soul, you know, the spinners and then all the all the just just awesome music. My mom uh, my mom had a record player, and I just remember growing up and just listening to albums and and just and just being infatuated with music.
1: Awesome. Now, may I ask, how is it that your mom herself ended up in Inglewood? Was she always there?
0: Um, you know what? She, uh, she grew up, I think in Pasadena. Um, her, her, her story is much like mine. It's very, uh, it's very, uh, sketchy, uh, at best. Um, she grew up in an abusive household, but, uh, yeah, just wound up there. It was just a, you know, lower income neighborhood and, uh, just fighting to stay alive.
1: Okay. Okay. Now your mom and your dad, what was the relationship uh, like between the two of them?
0: Uh, my dad, I call him, um, well, I won't say that. Um, <laughs> I, I usually have a, a colorful term for him. Um, I never knew him. He was actually married, so he was having an affair on his wife. Uh, with my mom. My mom uh, tended to like uh, married men. And uh, so yeah, um, he found out she was pregnant and he uh, broke it off with her, of course. And he uh, later on, I found out from my mom, she really never told me much about him. And then I found out later on that his wife was pregnant at the same time she was. So somewhere out there, I have a half brother, or half sister, but um, I never knew him personally. And then uh, probably about maybe 10 years ago, I decided um, learning about my own health. I said, okay, let me find, let me try to find this guy. And then I found out he died in 1993.
1: Mm -mm. So you have a half sibling out there from him, but do you have any other siblings from your mother?
0: Yeah, it's gonna, you're gonna start putting the pieces together. My, uh, I, have a, I have a half sister, um, same mom, different dad, uh, and a different, different dad, not my dad. Um, so yeah, and I don't have a relationship with her anymore either, but, uh, you know, I wish her all the best. It's, uh, it's just, it's just interesting. So I, I consider honestly, and this is not even a joke, my brothers and sisters out there are the people that are in my social media group and my family, uh, here in Southern California, all the, all the friends that I have. Those are my brothers and sisters because I tell people that just because you have somebody whose blood related, you know, you, I think, and I don't know, you tell me what you think, that you have to earn that, that right to be called mom or called dad or called sister. And if you don't live up to what that relationship truly means in the, in the blood sense and the family sense, then I just, you know, I have amazing brothers and sisters out there who are not blood related, but, uh, they're definitely my family. What do you think?
1: Awesome. You know, I, I kind of, I, I agree with that fullheartedly because, you know, I'm an only child. So I'm coming from the background, like I don't have brothers and sisters, but throughout the course of my life, I've gotten, uh, I have a lot of people that surround me that are like brothers and sisters. I've, I've created these family relationships and there's no bloodline exchange at all, but they're more loyal, more, uh, Go to for me than than some people that I actually share a bloodline with. So you know I, mm-hmm. I'm so on the same page with you. It, it's really, you know, you don't get to pick your family, but uh, you know we have some some picking choices in our friends, and and sometimes <laughs> those those are better choices for us sometimes. So
0: you know, amen, I, I amen. Tot- mm-hmm.
1: Totally, totally agree with you. Now, so th- this this sketchy part, you know, growing up, you know, with y- your mother here, um, since you were the only one, I'm assuming, well. Am I getting that right? You were the only kid floating around with your mother in this early time in Inglewood,
0: or? Yeah, you know what? To be honest, Lana, it was um, it was my sister a little bit, and I think that's where some of the problems come around. Is my sister would stay with us, and we were poor, and you know, my mom was on welfare. We had to take the bus, and then, but every couple of weeks, she would go stay with her dad, and her dad was wealthy. So for her, and I, and I, and as I've gotten older, it's it's so interesting. As I've gotten older, I don't I don't resent her as much because. In her, in, in, being a kid, it's like, okay, I get to go hang out with dad and, and I get clothes and I get all this stuff. But then when I go back to mom's, you know, I have to take care of my baby brother. I have to raise I, him. I have to do homework. I have to do chores. So she wasn't around much. And then she finally permanently left when she was about 16 years old.
1: Okay. Okay. I see. Now, you, you, I was reading your bio, and it's just a fascinating story. You know, I always appreciate where people were and how far they've transitioned and where they are now. Um, you mentioned in your bio uh, at some point that your mother considered putting you up for adoption, and, and I'm curious as to what was going on with her at that time and, and what stopped her, what what brought her to that point.
0: You know what, that's that's a really great question, Lana, because my wife and I right now have just uh, finished the approval uh, process for adopting. Where we want to adopt awesome. a baby, we can't have kids ourselves. So it's really interesting because you go through that process and birth mothers have the right uh, up to 72 hours after they give birth to change their mind. Uh, In some states, it's actually 28 days, which is absolutely ridiculous. But that's another story. My mom had my sister, and then apparently she had a couple of miscarriages, and she had a couple of abortions. So you can kind of put the pieces together a little bit more. Um, And then she told me later on, she goes, goes, I got pregnant after you, but I had an abortion. So I would have had a brother or sister. But she said, I was going to give you up for adoption. And I said, well, what happened? And she says, you know what? She goes, I gave birth and I didn't want to see you. And the nurse said, do you want to see him? And she goes, something just said, let me just see him so I I can just kind of wish him a good life. And which I I appreciated her for that in in the respect of, you know, she didn't want to put me through what I wound up going through. Um, And she said she took one look at me and she said, uh, she goes, I just looked at you and I thought, it's just you and me, kid. And that's actually the title. My mom has been passed away now for uh, uh, going on five years, and uh, that's going to be the title of a book I'm working on. It's called "It's Just You and Me, Kid: The Story of a Mother and Son Who uh, Were Dysfunctional but Friends and Took Care of Each Other." Um, me more taking care of her than her taking care of me. But um, so I, I tell people that when we have when we're going through the adoption process, my wife and I, uh, they're like, "Doesn't that scare you that a birth mother would change their mind?" And I firmly believe that everything happens for a reason and what doesn't kill me makes me stronger so i i wouldn't begrudge uh, a birth mother saying you know what uh, i'm going to keep my baby it would obviously crush us but you know at the end of the day whether you do or you don't you know everything happens for a reason and i wouldn't trade all my experiences uh for anything because it made me the man i am today
1: Awesome. Well, first of all, congratulations to you and your wife on soon to be parents. So, you know, um, I have a 21 year old, so I'm going to tell you now that it's an awesome and frustrating and rewarding (laughs) experience.
0: (laughs) Especially at my age, I'm like, oh my Uh, gosh, it's going to be fun
1: get you uh, a lot of coffee and a lot of kleenex and everything <laughs> but it is an amazing experience parenthood is a wonderful beautiful thing i will tell you that and uh, also you know your mom's not with us but you know that you know thank you to her for you know making that that last minute judgment call because um you know as painful as it is you know we we get to experience christopher now and and i think that's a beautiful contribution to this world you know so uh thank you awesome awesome you know of story there so you know your mother like she was going through some things, clearly from the story that we're gathering. Um, also, at some point in time, uh, we, we realized mom has got some mental health issues. How young were you when you realized like something was a little different with mom?
0: Uh, you know, uh, I was probably about, uh, probably about four. Um, what was really interesting is uh, in Inglewood, the house we lived in, there was a house behind us. And my mom, of course, befriended the gentleman that lived there. And uh, they soon started dating. And then something happened. And at the time I didn't really realize what it was. I went to go stay with his parents, um, for about two or three months. Yeah. And it was so funny because we don't, it's funny, we don't remember what we don't remember. And sure. every once in a while I get these flashbacks and then I finally realize I'm like, wait, I was there for quite a while. And so before she had died, um, years ago, I said, I said, remember I and I stayed at Jim's uh, parents' house, what was that all about? Well, I found out that she actually, according to her, my mom was a fibber, uh, to say the least. <laughs> Uh, she said she self-admitted her to a psychiatric hospital because she was trying to commit suicide. Um, I think later on, because I don't have anybody to talk to about it, I think she was actually probably committed. Um, so she spent some time in there, and um, yeah, she came out, and, and later on, she's like, I didn't have any issues, and I'm perfectly fine. Um, <laughs> and uh, she was she was unto her own person. That was very that was very true. And I tell people, you know, I didn't realize how much of an impact that genes have, not like Levi's or anything or Jordan Ashley's, <laughs> genes in our family because I've made it a point all my life to take the good from her. She was very tenacious. She was very driven. She was very, um, self-sufficient. But in the same respect, she had a lot of different quirks and, and things that I didn't care for. But I ran into my, I ran into my sister. I saw my sister back in 2005 after not seeing her for so long, like 20 years. And my mo- my sister hated my mom, uh, couldn't stand her, resented her, but you know what? She turned out exactly like my mom. It was, it was unbelievable on it. It was, it was like uh, everything. She had a, she had a bunch of cats. She had like 30 cats. She had all these books. Her house was a mess. She blamed everybody for all of her problems and she had the good dad and she left when she was 16. She didn't have to go through being homeless like I did. She didn't have to go through all the abuse, all this. And she turned out exactly like her. And then, uh, yeah. So uh, I, I tend to get wordy. So just cut me off anytime. But yeah, it was. It's no, just crazy. I'm
1: enjoying. I'm enjoying it. You know, and, and it's just a true example of sometimes that you know people always want to say, well, you know, those that you know have the best experiences and and the best opportunities in life always you know have the the good path to travel. But sometimes you know trials and tribulations you know make us stronger and make us better people. I mean, and, and that's a true example you see between your sister and yourself. It's like okay, she had the easier road, you had the tough one, but you know, you ended up in a better place, I'm assuming, than she did.
0: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. It's, it's really, it's just, I mean, that's what one of the things that I got into to the personal development side of things because I got so sick of seeing my friends, you know, like, Oh, I don't know what to do. And it's my teacher's fault. It's my parents fault. My dad never treated me and all these stuff. They were just blaming all of these people. And I'm like, take responsibility for yourself. There are books. There are, back in the day, cassette tapes. There are, there's, a, I mean, there's so much information out there to correct your behavior and correct your attitude. And at the end of the day, you can sit there and say your story is miserable, but, you know, just take a look around. I mean, there's people in impoverished com- countries, you know, that don't have running water. I mean, it's, there's so much opportunity out here, but people just sit there and they live in their own, their own crap world and they're a victim instead of being a victor. It just, it drives me crazy. And that's when I got into personal development, just decide, okay, I want to change the world i want to tell people that no you don't have to be a victim of your circumstance you can change your mind you can get education and you can be your own person
1: there you go there you go it's all up to your personal choice you can either sit in it or you can rise above it amazing
0: yeah
1: yeah. we're going to take a quick commercial break hang in there with me we'll be right back right after this
0: awesome thanks Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Like I said, I'm Lana Reed, and today I'm hanging out with Christopher Rashi. He is the creator of The Kick Ass Guide to Life, the complete guide to living your best personal and professional kick ass life. And before we went to commercial, he was sharing with us uh, his personal story, uh, his uh, struggle, and living with his uh, mom and her mental health issues. Now, um, also, I read in your bio, uh, Christopher, that you dropped out of school at the seventh grade. Now, that's that's really kind of hard to kind of fathom. Seventh grade, you dropped. What, what caused that? I mean, what brought you to that point?
0: Um, I didn't like school. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> you don't have uh, that
1: option as a kid. You don't have that option. I'm a parent. do <laughs> I'm a mom. You're going to school. <laughs> like, I'm not you know, going. To you know, school. I don't care what you don't like. You're going <laughs> to school <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. You know what? Actually, honestly, in the seventh grade, I wasn't doing too well uh, with fitting in and doing stuff. But actually, to answer your question, um, uh, due to the fact that my mother was a uh, a cat lover, to say the least, uh, she had spent uh, my stepdad had left us and we were broke again, uh, living there in Anaheim in a nice four bedroom house and trying to have a, a standard middle class life. And uh, my mom spent all of her money on trying to save her favorite cat. Um, Who ended up dying anyway, so we wound up uh, losing our house on May 10th, 1982. I went from being a a 7th grade kid living in a middle class neighborhood to uh, living in a 1969, there we go again, 1969 Country Squire station wagon with uh, about mm, 18 cats and 4 dogs. Yeah, oh so I I, I couldn't couldn't go to school anymore. <laughs> yeah. Eighteen?
1: I, I am a true cat lover. I, I I post pictures of my my cats on the. I have two, uh, but eighteen cats is a little excessive to me, um, especially with my seventeen. I mean, my seventh grade son. Um, I'm just trying to package this all up mentally here. Um, <laughs> my, I, I, you you guys coexisted in the station wagon with the eighteen cats and the four dogs for how long?
0: Yeah, it, it really sounds crazy. I couldn't make it up if I was trying. It was, um, it was honestly, it was off and on. I was home. I was considered what quote unquote homeless for about four years. It was, uh, living in the station wagon. Uh, I lived in somebody's garage for a little bit. I lived in somebody's, uh, broken down van for a little bit. Um, and then we in and out of motels, uh, all throughout, uh, Orange County. I was one of those motel kids, but uh, yeah. So for about four years, uh, and that was 18 down from 30. When we, when we, my mom was very a uh, pro- procrastinator, and she didn't, she didn't think we were going to get kicked out until the cops showed up. So we had to get out suddenly, and some of the cats ran away. But yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely an interesting experience. And some people over the years, when I've told that story, they're just like, "Oh my God, that's gross." But honestly, my mom was meticulous about keeping everything clean. So anytime there was, uh, we put the cat boxes in the back on the floor, um, in the back of the station wagon those huge station wagons with the wood paneling on it yeah um, yeah we would we just kept it clean uh, we wound up losing two dogs um, pretty quickly so we wound up with uh the two dogs and uh yeah we just survived we um we were very creative we had uh black trash bags on the inside of the windows and we parked in industrial complexes and yeah we just hit out you know it was uh at first i thought it was like a game it was like okay we're going on this adventure but you know after you go hungry for a few days and the cats are eating and mom has cigarettes you kind of start wondering what this is all about
1: <laughs> mm, okay 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 so mom's the cats and the, but you're okay 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 hold on <laughs> okay, it's but, a
0: lot to take in
1: yes yes you know cuz i'm coming at it from a mother now so i'm i'm thinking like i have a child and i need to feed my child i need to make sure my child is going to school but her concern was other things Was there never any like conversation like, Chris, I I need to get my baby back in school or I need to, you know, maybe we should go to a shelter and maybe I should get something more stable. There's there's social services help out for me there. So did she ever think these thoughts or say these thoughts or this was okay for her?
0: Uh, honestly, and, and I and I and over the years, I, I've I've learned to understand psychological disorders a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, no, honestly, there, there was for me. My mom, ma- my grandfather, her father uh, had offered me to come stay with him, um, but you know, at 13 years old, I for some reason couldn't. I mean, I I say for some reason it sounds bad, but I wanted to be there for her and protect her to be quote unquote the man of the family. But yeah, it was. Um, I wanted to go back to school. I never got to say goodbye to my friends. And, um, yeah, but her thing, I will say this, she was very selfish and she's like, okay, it's about the cats. We have to save the cats. We have to go out and collect cans and dig in trash cans and get cat food and dog food and cigarettes. And then we get to eat. But yeah, there was talk about that every once in a while. I mean, and honestly, in the third year, I think she won the lottery. I mean, and I'm not even joking. She won $5,000. And I thought, okay, we can get out of this motel because there was drugs and gangs and all sorts of stuff in this motel. Um, and I thought, okay, we can go get an apartment and we can, you know, get out of here and I can go to school and I can be normal and I don't have to worry about all this stuff. And she blew all the money. It was, uh, it was really crazy. And, uh, but yeah, there was talk of it. And in retrospect, I, I often wonder because I've talked to a lot of people who have been very privileged. I know a lot of wealthy people and, and, um, you know, I used to wonder what would I be like if I didn't have to go through all this experience. But you know, at the end of the day where I'm at now, I'm thankful for that because I am so appreciative of so many things. Like my wife will ask me, What do you want for dinner? And still to this day, you know, forty, you know, thirty some odd years later, I'm like, I'm just happy to eat. I'm just you can give me anything. I'm just happy to eat. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for everything I've got. But um yeah, it was it was pretty frustrating and until, you know, I just decided that I was gonna go back to school on my own.
1: Oh, You know, and listening to you, it's so funny because one of the things I often say to people, you know, everybody's, oh, you know, Lana, how are you doing today? I said, you know, I'm wonderful because when you put it in perspective, somebody last night, they went to bed and they didn't have a roof over their head and they didn't have food to eat. And, you know, I'm in such a different place. So I have nothing to complain about. And, you know, listening to you talk and the enthusiasm and, and, you know, the appreciation for, like you said, just to eat something. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's there's so many people walking around in this world just so privileged and they have and they just do not. Appreciate uh, what what it what it is uh, that they could not have, you know. And I just it's just amazing. It's just amazing. And like I said, to come out of your situation and have such an overjoy abundance for life, I think that's a beautiful thing.
0: Thank you. It's you know what? It's so it's so interesting, Lana. It drives me bananas because people sit there and complain about something, and uh, I think I started this last year. Uh, things just pop into my brain because I want to use uh, analogies for people to kind of get it. And I remember this person was just complaining up a storm, and and generally I don't offer my opinion unless I'm asked, mm-hmm. and I just blurted out and I said, Hey, hey, hey! Pump the brakes <laughs> here for a minute, pal. Um, did you by any chance go to a particular place in your house or your apartment and turn a thing and hot water came streaming out of the wall. Did you Mm -hmm. by any chance have that experience today? And the person was looking at me like I was crazy and I said, you turned something in your house and hot water came out, that's pretty friggin' cool, right? I mean there's people out there who don't get to take a shower. There's people that have never seen clean water and here you are, you know, bitching about this and that and you have running water. Life is pretty cool. Life is pretty kick-ass, right? And the person looked at me and he goes, You know what? I never thought of it like that. And and I said, Well think about that. I mean, even to the point I've got some back issues, well a lot of back issues, so I'm in constant pain. And every once in a while, I admit this. I'm, I'm, I'm very transparent. I'm very authentic. I am not the most positive person all the time. I generally am. But lately I've been down on myself, you know, for getting older and, and all this pain. But I found out last year that a friend of mine from back in the 80s, he had a horrible accident, a total freak accident, tripped on his daughter's little small wooden table. Um, he was by himself and a piece of the table went through his back, severed his spinal cord. So he has been in um, – he's paralyzed from the neck down, and I was sitting there walking. I was bitch pissing him and moaning. Ah, this sucks. And I stopped for a second. I'm like, wait a minute, Chris. Don't you think Mike would love to have your pain right now? Don't you think Mike would kill to be in pain right now? He cannot feel his shoulders. And I tell you what, Lana, even I – because t- I, I tell myself I'm my own best coaching client. Mm-hmm. In that moment, I, sh- I shut up. I have not bitched about it since. I was like, you know what? I have pain. I can feel. That's pretty f- That's pretty cool. And it's just – it's all about perspective.
1: All about perspective. You know, and sometimes, you know, I do a lot of talks with kids, you know. And, and today's generation of young people, they're very interesting because they're walking around with their cell phones and they're walking around with iPads <laughs> and they're walking around with these like $200 shoes and like life is miserable for them. I don't have anything. <laughs> um, <I'm-> <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, look here. You know, look, you are so privileged. You have so much. I mean, there's people in this, this world who, you know, don't even have access to, you know, the Internet, to Google or anything like that. So mm-hmm. appreciate appreciate where you are. And, 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 you know, there's so many people in this world going without or in, or in, in a, a worse situation than you are. And, you know, like I said, it's just, you know. I think we're living in a culture of entitlement, you know,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> that's a whole different conversation. But,
0: mm-hmm. you, know,
1: um, and, you know, you being the new parent that you're going to be, so hopefully you can, you know, raise somebody who's not really, you know, feeling like they're entitled and privileged, you know. But, uh, yeah, you know, these, these kids today, you know, and it's just like appreciate, appreciate, mm-hmm. you know, these things that you have and, and, the pers- and put it all in perspective because you don't have to have these privileges. You know, you really, really, really don't
0: it's so true you are bang on with that i do my mentor uh, at risk kids also and it's it just blows my mind because i mean like there's just, there's no reason for anybody in this in this i shouldn't say the whole entire world but anybody with internet access should not be complaining about something because it's i mean it's so amazing you can go on google and you can say how to get out of financial despair how to uh underwater basket weave. I mean there's so much resources out there. I just caught a guy the other day he was he was moaning about his, his uh financial situation. He's like, Man it sucks and blah 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 and I don't and he said, I don't know what to do. Google. And I said <laughs> and I said even that, I said, Do you know what a library is? There you go. And he looked at me he's like I said, go to the library, and they have these things called books. You open the book, and you start from the left, and you go to the right, and you learn about how to get out of financial despair. And you can actually create a kick-ass life, and you can do it on your own. You don't have to bitch and, and, and blame the government and blame all these other things. You can actually take responsibility and fix your situation, but you're choosing to sit there and be miserable, so it's your own fault, so shut up.
1: There you go. There you go. <laughs> you know, a lot of times, you know, people just want somebody to I mean, I guess some people just feel comfortable woe is me, I'm the victim or whatever, and you don't want to take responsibility. You don't want to hold yourself accountable saying I I am in this situation because I choose not to take the necessary steps to get myself out of this situation, you know, and, um, you know, like with the guy you were talking about, it it was more comfortable. It's easier for him to say, you know, uh, well, I don't want, and then this is the world, but you know, and you're like, shut up.
0: (laughs) You poor baby, you poor thing. Here, give me a dad, give me a hug. You know, I tell people on it that you get a one day pity party. I mean, if something goes wrong, I mean, I bitch too. I mean, like you get a one day pity party and then you get up the next day and you go, okay, what am I going to do? To change the situation, you can. You know, I teach this thing called accept it or change it. And it's amazing that people will just stay in the middle and they'll just bitch about it. And it's like, well, what is that going to do? I had a guy reach out to me the other day on Facebook and he goes, please pray for me. And I'm like, sure, what's going on? He goes, my wife left me. And I said, well, I could pray for you, but why don't you actually consider going to counseling? Why don't you go consider reading a book about this and, and learning how to deal with a teenage daughter? Why don't you go take responsibility instead of just like putting it off on other people? Like, oh, pray for me. Uh, mm-hmm. Will that work? It was just—it it blows my mind, Lana. It's—it's—it's it's, it's so incredible how people are just like sitting around, just going, oh, poor me." <laughs> Let me watch the news and get really mad about stuff that I don't have any control over. Sorry, there I get—I get very passionate about that
1: stuff. There you go, no problem. I'm saying I'm there with you in the same boat. Uh, looking at the time here, we're gonna uh, take a quick break, pay some bills. We'll be right back right after this commercial.
0: Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed.
1: Welcome back. Welcome back. And today I have the privilege of hanging out with the creator of the Kick-Ass Guide to Life, the complete guide to living your best personal and professional kick-ass life, Mr. Christopher uh, Rush. And before uh, the break, uh, we were talking about change and how people have the... the, uh, capability to change uh, their own personal circumstances it's up to them and you know you were sharing your own personal story and how you were in the station wagon with your mom drop out at uh, of school at the seventh grade so you're in, like, in the station wagon with 18 cats and their um, two dogs so when when did life transition for you when did you, you break away from your mother and, and say you know what christopher this this is this can't be all there is to life
0: it was. uh It's a great question. Again, again, I'm having a blast on your show. Thank you so much. This is fun. You're you are awesome. It, it's uh, yeah, honestly, it was it was a very uh interesting time. The the day I decided it was um the night it was the day after uh, I had a guy put a gun to my head and, and want oh, to wow. kill me. It was so it was so ironic and so mind blowing, Lana. It was um I lived in this like I said this this bad motel and um I was walking back and this guy walks up to me. And he goes, he goes, Hey man, you want to buy a carton of cigarettes? And I'm like, sure, what you got? And um he goes, Marlboro Reds. And I said, I don't smoke Marlboro Reds. And this guy, I will just say it, he was a black guy. And um and he looks at me he goes, What? Is it because I'm black? And I said, Are you bleep uh, kidding me? Uh-huh. And And I said, no dude, I don't care what color you are. I don't, I'm not like that dude. I grew up in Inglewood. It's not a big, I don't care about that. I said, I just don't smoke marble reds. And he goes, no, 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 it's because of that. You're one of those racist MFers and da 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 da. And I said, no dude, I'm cool with everybody. I don't care. I said, I just don't smoke those. I smoke cools. Well. (laughs) Anybody who – I mean, stereotypically speaking, I hit a nerve button. He's like, oh, so you making fun of me? And I said – I'm like, oh, let me guess. It's either Cools or Newports, right? And he goes, what? Oh, so you – and then uh, he, all of a sudden he pulls out a gun, and he puts it right to my forehead. He goes, I should just blow your MF and brains out right now. And I just thought about it, and honestly, I was at the lowest point. I tried to commit suicide a couple of times. Fortunately, I sucked at it. I was – I was desp- I didn't care anymore. I was like, dude, if you're going to do it, pull the trigger right now. And I thought about it, and I was just like – What did I just say? And I'm like, I don't even care. And then fortunately, my other friend, Dwayne, came running up. He's like, dude, 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 leave him alone. Him and and his moms are cool. Him and his moms are cool. Leave him alone. And I said, dude, seriously, if you had a carton of cools, I would have bought it, you know, but I just don't smoke those things. Mm. So the next day, to answer your question, I was sitting on the stairs and I was just looking at everything. I mean, it was something out of a movie. It was, you know, the prostitution, the drugs. There was cop cars, you know, crazy people talking to themselves. It was just an, uh, an insane asylum. And I thought, Chris, there are gonna be two ways you're gonna get out of here. You're either gonna die or you're gonna to go to jail. Or sorry, three ways. I can't count. Uh I'm horrible <laughs> in numbers. You're either gonna die, you're gonna to go to jail, or you're gonna take responsibility for yourself and get out of here. Your mom is not gonna do it. I was seventeen years old and I was still taking care of her. I was working two jobs. Um I was I was doing everything for her and I thought, you know, when is it my time? Yes. And I didn't see it changing. She won the lottery and everything, so I just decided um that I was gonna do something. I didn't know what. So ironically, the, the universe works in mysterious ways. Uh, me and a friend of mine that also lived at the motel, we went to um, our job. We actually, one of my jobs was telemarketing. And this is going to sound creepy, but it's not. Uh, we telemarketed out of this guy's apartment in Huntington Beach. And so <laughs> we show up to work one day. It was not porn. Um, it was roofing appointments. And uh, so we show up to work uh, that next morning. And uh, his name was Norman. He was a super cool guy. Kind of weird, but he's he was super cool. And he goes, hey, guys, um, I got some good news and I got some bad news. And I said, well, I've had enough bad news to last a lifetime, so um, why don't you just give me that first? And he says, uh, well, the bad news is I'm going to close up shop, and I'm going to move to Texas. Oh, wow. And I was like – and it was a pretty good money. We set roofing con- contractor appointments, and we got a percentage if they close the business. Um, and I said, all right, well, what's the good news? And he says, you know, I know you guys are living in that crappy place. Um, what I'm going to do is leave you my apartment so that way you don't have to save up for a, a down payment, you know, and first and last and all that stuff. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to turn the lease over to your name so you guys can move out of that place and, and have a nice place to live. Cool. And I remember Lana, I was, I looked at Robert and I was like, whoa, 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 what, what? Cool. I'm like Huntington beach, you know, yes. I was like, wow,
1: primo real estate. awesome. Oh, his,
0: his apartment was awesome. It was beautiful. Wooded apartment complex. Yeah. And yeah, we were like, we could do this, we could do this, and we can get, you know, your brother to come live with us. And we were excited, we we're jumping down like two little girls that just got like, you know, new hopscotch equipment or something. It was insane. So I go back to the motel that night and I tell my mom, and I said, "Mom, mom, guess what? Norman's going to be moving, and me and Robert can take over his apartment, and I can get out of here, and you know, da 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 da." And I thought, I don't know what possessed me to think this way, Lana. I thought. For once she's going to say, you know what? You should do it. You should go. You've, mm-hmm. you've, you've been in this mess. You, I mean, you've nearly been killed twice. You've been carjacked once. I mean, it's just a matter of time before something bad is going to happen. I was doing, I was stealing. I was doing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, instead of saying that, she says, oh, really? Well, that's pretty selfish. And she started calling me all sorts of names. And oh, you're this and you're that. And Lana, I, I was like, what the heck? Yeah, I said something different, but I said, what the heck? And I thought, if I don't take care of myself, who is? That's and true. so I sat there again, and I thought about it, and I thought, you know what? Uh, i got to get out of here. So I told my mom, I said, listen, I'm going to leave this situation. I'm not leaving you, but I have to move on. I have to do something with my life. You are a grown woman. You've had all opportunities to do these things. I need to do something. I do not want to wind up dying here. And so, of course, she was very mad. She tried to have me arrested for stealing my own car because <laughs> mm. um, I took the one car we had. And, um, and I moved out, but I went there every single night. I still helped her take care of the animals. I still gave her money. She wound up being, being self, self sufficient. I learned about codependency because I was doing everything. So she didn't have to do anything. And once I left, she became stronger again. She got a job. And when I moved out, it was, it was like I'd been born again. It was like, Oh my God, I have my own bed. I have a real bed. Um, wow. and, and it was amazing. And then I, I got around some really cool people and uh, just continued changing my life.
1: Okay. So, at seventeen, you're out on your own. Did you go back to high school Because you have to somewhere finish this high school thing right?
0: yeah, yeah, it was a what well, was it was interesting. I met this girl um who be, became my first wife who I'm still awesome friends with uh I started dating her, and it was like I had a girlfriend, and it was you know and then she's like oh i want I want you to meet my parents and you know here I am this long hair rocker dude that smokes cigarettes, smokes weed, and you know drinks and, <laughs> You know, I'm like Mr. You know, grown up Don't. adult. guy, Right. And uh, so I went over to their house and uh, they lived in Fountain Valley in a really nice house. And uh, he was the president of a trucking company. And I just thought, oh, no, <laughs> I didn't know any different. I mean, I really you know, I just didn't know any different. And uh, he would tell me after a while because he knew we were serious. He would say, you know, you need to go back to school, Chris. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, huh, I'm I'm 18 years old now. I, I, how am I going to go back to school? And he says, well, there's this thing called a GED. You can go back and actually make up high school and then you can go to college. And honestly, Lana, I thought this dude is cracked. You don't know what the real world's like, man. And I tell this story because I, I loved my, my girlfriend at the time and I still do. She's a great, she's a great lady. And, um, and I thought, okay, well, I want to keep dating her because this is really neat having a life and being able to have nice things. And so I went and I checked it out and I went back and I uh, got my GED. I wound up spending like it took me a couple of months. It was really amazing. I guess I'm really smart. <laughs> I, I went back and I got my GED and I graduated and I thought, all right, I did it. You know, yeah. I got this, I've got this piece of paper. And of course my mom wasn't, she could care less. And I was like, okay, that's kind of interesting. Her parents were off the hook. I, I think they threw me a party. I can't remember. Um, and then he says, okay, well, you got to go to college. And I said, me go to college. What are you? Are you crazy? I was still working two jobs. I was still trying to take care of my mom. Um, I was trying, I was finding my newfound freedom and, uh, yeah. So I went to uh, golden West community college there in uh, I think it's Huntington beach and yeah. I started taking a class and, uh, yeah, I just, I stuck with it and committed myself and, uh, kept moving forward. And like you said in the intro, earned my master's degree in two, uh, I graduated in 2000 and it was in each one of my graduations, you know, going back to my mom a little bit, each one of the graduations, I had to beg her to come, and that broke my heart. I mean, it, it, when I got my master's degree, she was like, oh, I have to work that night. Mm. And, and I was like, seriously, I was a homeless kid on the street just a few years ago, and here I am getting a master's degree. Nobody in our family has a master's degree, and you're not going to come. And I said, if you don't come, I will never speak with you again. And you know, she showed up. She almost didn't show up to my first wedding either, but, uh, she, she did. <laughs> I'm pretty, I'm pretty convincing when it comes to it. Like, you want money? You want to take care of your cats? You want me to report you? Okay, show up to my damn. <laughs> I just
1: want you to come to your son's graduation, mom. Come on. Yeah. You know, and just listening to you talk about your mom, I mean, I, I think it would be quite natural in in the process of human nature in the process of our personal growth and our evolution, I, i'm assuming there was a point in chris's life where you know i wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Mom, if my dad did this, and so and so Was there a time in your life where you were kind of blaming others for your your screwed up situation?
0: You know what um not really. Okay. Uh, I really have never been that type of person. Okay. I'm sure at one point going back because my memory is like a turnip. Um, I would think so, but I, I think from that point when I made that determination in the motel to leave, if, as far as I can see, you know, sometimes we don't see what others can see. I have always been just self-sufficient. I've been driven. I have been resourceful and try to think of those things in relationship terms. I would blame my mom in, um, in some respects because I was very, very sarcastic. I was very, uh not mean spirited but i was just very blunt and honest and i got that from my mom but again going back to what we said earlier i chose i started reading that's how i got into personal development i started reading these books and trying to okay how do i have positive relationships with people what is communication what is you know the give and take and the listening versus hearing and i just started opening myself up so i didn't sit there and say okay well it's because of my mom and that's the way i am uh, But uh, no, I've really just been always just driven to be responsible and take accountability for myself.
1: Cool, cool. Awesome. I like that. Now, you said your mom passed away uh, about five years ago. So before she passed, uh, where where was your relationship with like with your mom? What was it like? (laughs) Uh,
0: You know, it's it's a it's a really awesome story. It was up until for the last two years of life. um, She was in and out of hospitals and in and out of um, nursing homes and whatnot. She uh, she after she. I want to tell this part of the story. Out of that motel, she actually got out of there. She was okay. the last person living in that motel. It got torn down. Actually, the 5 Freeway here in Southern California goes right over it now. But she was she was in there with no electricity. Yeah. And actually, Caltrans had paid people a relocation fee, and she used that money. She got $7,000. She used that money, and she got her four-bedroom house with a pool uh, out here in Corona. So, I mean, I mean, talk about persistence and that's what she wanted. She goes, I want a house with a pool. And by golly, she got it. She (laughs) wound up losing it again. She wound up losing her second house. And so I got her a a travel trailer to live in. And, um, she got sick and then I was there for her. I took her to her doctor's appointments. Unfortunately, she, um, from her smoking, she got uh, atherosclerosis in her, in her arteries. And so she wound up getting a leg amputation. She had a bunch of different procedures. And, um, so she was really, really sick up until, about two or three weeks before she died, she died uh, a day after, two days after her 69th birthday. Um, she said to me, she goes, I know I haven't been the best mom and I know I've put you through a lot, but I just want you to know how proud I am of you and and, and you've done it and I am so proud of you and I love Barbara and that's my, my, my second wife now. Uh-huh. Um, and it was just it blew my mind. It was just like, That's, and I spent my whole entire life trying to impress her and trying to show her I was self-sufficient, trying to show her that, you know, and I was just telling the story this this morning to my wife, you know, sometimes we get so strong for our parents that we want to prove to them that we don't need them anymore. But in some respects, when we, when we, when we shut them out and they don't have any other purpose in life, we can actually make them feel bad. Um, but yeah, so she, um, so she had, she told me that and I was blown away. Uh, and then, um, the night we were moving to this house we're in now, so everything, my world's collided on, uh, July 31st, um, five years ago. Bad with math again. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a phone call just as we were going to sleep. We were getting up the next morning. Everybody was showing up to help us move. And we got a call from the nursing home. And, um, it was the call you don't want to get. And they said, mm-hmm. um, we don't think your mom's going to make it through the night. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I thought, you know, there was been so many times during those two years, Lana, that we thought she was going to go. Yeah. And, and I, I hung up the phone, and my wife said, who was that? And I said, that was the nursing home. They said, I don't think my mom's going to make it through the night. And she goes, well, we have to go. Or she says, are we going? And I said, no. I mean, it was like 1 one o'clock in the morning. We had friends coming at 6 o'clock. I said, you know what? She's probably already gone. Um, and my wife said, God bless her. She says, no, we're going. So I got up. I made myself a Jack and Coke and a sippy cup. And I said, <laughs> okay, if I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do it with Jack Daniels in my hand. And- we drove up to the nursing home and um yeah she was uh she was obviously very bad and I sat with her and my mom and I weren't touchy feely mm-hmm. um I mean all the time she was sick in the hospital and surgeries I never really like held her hand or caressed her head it just we weren't those type of people yeah uh, but I actually uh, started caressing her head and holding her hand and I said mom I love you you fought hard all of your life this is your time let go it's okay barbara's got me we're good just go be free release the pain and, you know, because you could tell she was, you know, I don't want to be morbid, but she was trying to breathe. And it was yeah. you know, she, she was I mean, she was already passing. You could tell. And um, I said, Mom, I got this. And um, yeah, about one thirty, I think it was one thirty five in the morning. She took her last breath and I sat there and I was just like I was crying. And I thought, wow, this is this is the end of that story. And God's honest truth, I walked out. It was, like I said, July here in Southern California. The song says, you know, it never rains in Southern California. I walked outside and it started pouring rain right on me. And I thought it was just a symbol. I thought, you know, that is her pain being released because she was in miserable pain. I mean, she was, I, that woman was a trooper and a half. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's been about, yeah, five years and, uh, I miss her sometimes, but it doesn't take me very long to go, yeah, I'm, yeah you know, I hate to say it, but i'm yeah. I'm glad she's in another place, you know, because it was it was a it was a lot for me, <laughs> yeah, I can tell I can tell, and you know, like I said, you know it's a
1: beautiful thing that she had evolved to that place where she could say that she was proud of you, and sometimes as children, that's all we really want to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris, we're going to take a quick break right here, and we'll be right back right after this.
0: Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed.
1: Well, welcome back. Welcome back. Like they said, I'm Lana Reed, and this is Don't Box Me In. Today I am kicking it with creator of the kick-ass guide to life Mr. Uh, Christopher Rush and uh, before I get out of here I want to make sure I spend uh, a nice piece of time letting people know the things that you, you you do for others and how they can get this kick-ass life as well so um, you offer personal coaching to people Chris and it's a little bit different uh, from traditional coaching because you say I help people overcome their self created crap without without all the self-help fluffy BS so what is this self-help <laughs> Fluffy BS that you you perceive the coaching industry to have. What what, what do you do that's different?
0: It, you know, honestly, that's a, that's a great question. And thank you so much for having me on. This has been awesome. It's you know, it's I started off doing suit and tie speaking and coaching. I was uh, you know I I thought okay, motivational speakers you know wear the suit and tie and they get up there and they have their hands you know doing that little that little pose. <laughs> and I did and I did that for a while, but I came off stage one day and I thought. You know, I was at a speaking event and everybody was just like me. We wore the blue suit with the red tie and the shiny shoes saying the same stuff. Yeah. And I thought, you know, at heart, I'm a rocker. I'm a biker. I'm a, um, I'm, you know, I love to party. I love, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a fun guy. I don't want to sit there and put the suit and tie on and go up there and pretend I'm something I'm not. So I uh, joined a mastermind and I got around some amazing people and I said, you know, I want to do this thing. Actually, the first thing I called it was the blue collar guide to life um, because I'd work with blue collar people and I just resonate with that. And it didn't – that part didn't go over too well because people would say I'm not a blue-collar person. But I said, no, it's more just kind of like the, the fun mindset kind of thing. So I changed it to the kick-ass thing. And um, honestly, I was seeing a lot of these people out there that would say, okay, we're going to spend the next four months. And what we're going to do is we're going to help you. On... It was just like this. It's like, okay, I'm a very direct person uh, mm-hmm. because I love people, not because I'm mean. But it's like, okay, if you want to get to point B and you're at point A – I'm going to be the guy that's going to hold you accountable. I'm going to be the one that's not going to take your BS and sit there and say, oh, okay. I'm going to sit there and say, okay, how bad do you want this? I mean, honest to God, I got a guy to quit smoking because I used his daughter as a visual representation of, okay, do you want to see her walk down the aisle? Do you want to see her graduate high school? Do you want to be a grandfather? Well, if you're choosing to smoke cigarettes, then you're saying no to your daughter, so I want you to have a conversation with your four-year-old, four-year-old daughter and tell her that you don't love her as much as you love your cigarettes. You I mean, know. that's like the encapsulated version. So my thing, mm-hmm. Lana, is that I find out what the people want I found out, I helped them discover what their why is because I firmly believe that when you have your big enough why, you have your big enough how. And so I don't want to waste people's time. I don't want to sit there and say, okay, we got to do a 12 month coaching program. I've helped people in as little as three months. I've helped people in as little as a month. I do. Uh, one hour strategy sessions where, okay, you tell me what you want to do and let's get to the bottom of it. Because I want to see people successful. I want to see people happy. I don't want to see people sitting there walking around thinking they don't have the ability to change their situation. Because when you really get to that, 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 when you get that confidence and you get that unstoppable attitude, there's nothing you cannot do. I mean, I mean, look at me. I've, 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 I've had such an amazing life. I've met my mentor, Les Brown. Uh, I've, I've met famous people. I've gone on stage in front of thousands of people. I've, You know, it's you can do it. And that's and that's I just I just tell people if you want to work with me, you have to be dead serious. I've actually stopped coaching, honestly, for a long time because I got so sick of people saying i am actually called the no excuses coach also because people like, oh, well, you don't understand, Chris. I didn't have enough time or oh you don't understand this and that. I'm like, no, I understand that you don't want it bad enough. So I'm just that direct person
1: that's right that's right you know like I said you have to That that is at the core of it you have to want it and you know I think sometimes people come to coaches and they just expect for the coach to kind of hand it to them and baby them and, and you know just give it to them mm-hmm. and, but they don't understand it's up to the individual you know a coach can assist you give you the, the hold you accountable give you the tools but underneath all of that the person the individual has to want to change in their life
0: you know it's huge. And you know what? And this is sad because I used to do it. I didn't do it for the money for a long time. I did what was called pay it forward coaching. Uh-huh. Where I just wanted to help people. So I would say, okay, it's not about the money, but if, if I'm helping you, then you have to go do three nice things for complete strangers and come awesome. back and tell me about it. Because that's what was for me. It was okay. I'm helping people and I'm helping other people and I'm making this, you know, I, cause I saw that movie pay it forward. And I thought, yeah. I'm pay it forward coaching. And, uh, it was, it was amazing. It wasn't necessarily my coaching that was helping them. It was going back to what we talked about earlier is them seeing other people in, in more uh, messed up situations. They would come back to me like, Chris, I realized, you know, I went and sang for people in an old folks home. I went and delivered stuffed toys to the ki- a children's, uh, hospital. They came back and they were just like, you know, I've been taking my life for granted and now I'm going to stop, you know, complaining and I'm going to start doing. Um, but honestly, people sit there and say, they want to say, Oh, I'm seeing a coach. So that's my get out of free jail card, but, they don't want to do the work, and that's why I do very selective coaching now. I, I actually go through an interview process to make sure that the people are ready to ready to just let it go and get vulnerable and ditch their excuses and get on with life.
1: Yeah, the coach has to be ready for the student. The student has to be prepared for the coach. So you know, it has to be a perfect fit. Now, I also want to mention to uh, everybody that you have your own radio show. So tell us about that and how do they connect with you for your own radio show?
0: Actually, uh, the radio show has been on hiatus for a little bit. Um, It was called the Kick Ass Radio Show. It's actually all the, all the, I was on for two and a half years. Uh, All of them are available on podcast on iTunes. Okay. Uh, if they go to my website, they can, uh, there's a link there. But yeah, it was just, it was basically I would interview somebody for an hour and say, um, you know, give us five kick ass tips for living an unstoppable life. And, you know, just got the opportunity to interview a lot of people. I put it on hiatus, uh, because I kind of took a step back from personal development, to be honest with you, um, to regroup my head because I noticed, you know, talk about taking responsibility. I noticed that my ego was getting a little inflated because I was getting <laughs> on stage and I was meeting these people. And I re- started realizing that I was identifying myself by whether or not I got likes on my Facebook post or I got yeah. likes on the videos I put out. So uh, I took a self break and I thought, OK, let me get let me get re-centered, re uh, So I'll be launching a podcast. Most likely, what are we at? The end of May. Uh, my goal is July 1st. Uh, I was trying to think of where I was at. Um, <laughs> So I'm going to do a podcast. I'm going to have you on it. I'm going to have lots of people on it. It's going to be shorter. My radio show used to be an hour. Uh, okay. so I'm going to do it shorter and more condensed. But yeah, all the, there's, uh, two and a half years worth of episodes, uh, uh, available through my website or on iTunes. They just have to kick ass the kick ass radio show.
1: Awesome. You mentioned it. I don't think people really understand how psychologically, uh, uh, How much weight that carries those, those likes and you know, you're just kind of feeding into, I need more and I'm more Mm -hmm. and that that creates a dangerous little design there. So I think that's really impressive of you to say, wait a minute, let me pull back a minute because you know, I'm not doing things for the right reasons. Let me, let me regroup. Let me reevaluate. You know, I'm serving my ego instead of serving my audience. And I I think that's, that's phenomenal. Thank Um, you. Thank
0: you. (laughs) (laughs) Most people think I'm crazy.
1: (laughs) No, no, I'm right there with you on the same page. We're going to, we're at the end of the hour here, but I want to make sure or um, Chris, please let my audience know um, how they can get in touch with you if they need a coach or a speaker for their next event or what's the best way to reach
0: you. Sure. Awesome. And I've loved being on here. Thank you so much, Lana. It's just ChristopherRausch.com, R-A-U-S-C-H, ChristopherRausch.com. If you forget that, you can just go to com, all one word, K-I-C-K-A-S-S, um, com, And all my contact information is there. I would love to connect with you guys on Facebook or social media. And yeah, I'm here to help. That's that's my true desire in life. My thing will be that I risk for which that mattered, left the earth a better place for who I was and what I did. And that's my commitment. I love it. And I love you. And I think this is awesome. Thank you.
1: Awesome, Chris. I have had a kick-ass time with you today. Thank you for hanging <laughs> out
0: with me. <laughs> Thank you, sweetie. You rock.
1: <laughs> Thank you. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There's always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, I'll see you all next week.